What's up, everybody? This is episode number 83 of the Ridge Hunter Outdoors podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about an article in North American Whitetail, the latest edition of that by James Kroll. We've covered some of his stuff before. I thought this was an interesting one, uh, but we'll get into that on episode 83. <laughs> This is the Ridge Hunter Outdoors Podcast. Hey, Jeff Fry, Scott Clark, Kenya Clark here with you. Nate didn't make it again. He had to work late, had some other stuff going on. So basically what I'm saying is he bailed on us. But priorities yeah like i mentioned in the intro we're going to be talking about uh, an article by james kroll this week so it's going to be like the old fashioned early ridge hunter outdoors podcast where we pulled articles all the time before we started having guests and and all that so this one will be a little bit nostalgic nostalgic (laughs) sure will it be uh kind of a throwback but it's a good one and we i mean it's kind of what we do we have put videos up about this kind of stuff and that's what we talked about on the podcast a lot the article is called managing whitetails on private lands and it's part one uh he's gonna do like a series i guess on the the issues that come out this year the north american whitetail magazines that come out um he's gonna have part two three uh, i'm not sure if he says how many parts in here but i'm gonna skip around a little bit so like i always say when we do these if you can pick up the magazine the digital print the actual uh paper copy uh, go get it and read these articles. There's a lot of good information in them. We've talked to, I don't know how many of the writers now, at least a couple from the magazine. Um, and they're, they're in here. They've always got good articles and stuff too. It's kind of an old thing, seems like, but there's still a lot of good information in it. In this world of everything's on the internet and we get everything in 45 seconds, sometimes it's good to sit down and uh, read a little bit of information. That's actually, you know, you know, you can trust and is good instead of some Yahoo on Instagram reels or TikTok that's trying to tell you how to kill big bucks in 30 seconds. So, and he kind of mentions that in here as well, but. Or some shady podcast. Yeah, some, you know. You'll have those now. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard of them. They're out there. Yeah, that's all I hear. Yeah. Could be you. (laughs) Most likely. (laughs) Yeah. I wouldn't say we're shady. It's a pretty well-lit studio. <laughs> I do say so. Sometimes more lit than others. <laughs> Occasionally. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll just jump right in the article here. We'll talk about this, and then we'll probably get into some stuff like what we've got going on there at your place, uh, what i got going on at the cabin, because I still haven't posted the video from the last time at your place, but it's coming, I promise. The last time before this last time? Yeah, but they don't know that. Oh, okay. <laughs> so there's two last times they that do you now. haven't posted videos. Of. Yeah, I've got two in the queue. Two in the queue. Yes. All right, we'll jump into the article here. <laughs> he says, In the 1980s at the Institute for Whitetail Deer Management and research at Stephen F. Austin State University, my colleagues and I began working with landowners over the entire range of the species. We soon discovered there was one common trend among deer hunters. As they matured, they become more interested in doing something good for nature and their land rather than just killing bigger bucks, which I think we probably all have experienced or seen or have done ourselves. Uh, Most hunters want to leave a legacy, a hunting heritage for their family on land they hope will remain in the bloodline for many generations. And again, we're talking about private lands here, so we've done a ton of public land stuff recently. A lot of our guests are public land guys, but generally I think this is a pretty common theme among public land or private landowners. Um, Like he says, the more they mature, maybe they kill some some of those bucks and their uh, priorities start to change about what they're wanting to do. And leaving that legacy like he's talking about, but uh, we've talked about it before on the podcast. We're kind of at that, all at that, you know, at that point. Some of us come to it, I think, earlier than others, uh, just depending on uh, where you're hunting, maybe how long you've been doing it. If you just started hunting when you're 30, then obviously this isn't probably going to happen for a while. But it's we're not necessarily just wanting to kill big 180 inch bucks. Like we're trying to have a healthy deer herd. Uh, grow the bigger as you know, grow the deer to as mature age as possible, and then harvest the mature deer. And I think that's kind of what he's talking about in the opening there, uh, leading into this article. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other night after we got done at my plot. <clears throat> you know, and people were like, "Well, I don't know why you're worried about it and putting all this time and effort into it and stuff." You know, if you're not going to hunt it, well, 
which I've said all along, that's not a hunting plot. It's a feeding plot. And I don't know, it's just something that, that's my way of giving back to nature. You know, we're supposed to be stewards of the land. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I'm giving back to nature and giving the deer, what deer I've got on my property or surrounding properties, stuff to eat. Not only the deer, but now since we started doing this, before I never had rabbits. Now i got rabbits running amok in my yeah. backyard. Yep. And squirrels. And squirrels <laughs> and and uh, them little son of a guns mm-hmm. eating all your beans you came out. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you know, and I've had quail out there because of the switchgrass and stuff. And so it's not just the deer that I'm helping. You know, I'm providing a habitat for all sorts of different kinds of wildlife. Yeah, I think think that's one thing that we've even seen on properties that comes from managing for you know even just specific specifically for deer if you're making the habitat better for them providing food for them then most of the wildlife is going to flourish in that Mm -hmm. in your area i mean you're going to start to see it at least even if it's on your 20 acres you know and even you know you talk about the whole up and down the food chain because if there's more rabbits then there's more food for the even the predators and getting predators showing up (laughs) you know and then that's something as being stewards of the land we take care of too Mm -hmm. but Everything that you you're doing for deer, it's helping all the wildlife out there, not just the the deer. Yeah, I mean, even in the winter, like with the corn and stuff, you know, it's helping the coons and the squirrels and mm-hmm. and even some some birds and that, you know. So it's I don't know if you call it a catch twenty two, but you know, it's you're helping. Mm-hmm. You're just helping the habitat. It's good for together. the land in general, being yep. that mm-hmm. steward of the land, like you're talking right. about. Which I I agree with you. I think we're supposed to do that. Um. Jumping back in the article here, he says, Thus, today I spend a lot of time consulting hunters on best management plans for their properties. Uh, And he goes on and he says uh, in the next part of this article, titled, Are You Managing Deer or Are You Managing Deer on Your Land? I've lost count of the number of times I have heard someone declare, We're managing our deer. Sure, that sounds good, but what does it mean? The Merriam-Webster Dictionary definition of manage is to handle or direct with a degree of skill such as to exercise executive administrative and supervisory direction of another definition by the oxford dictionary is succeed in surviving or in attaining one's aims so when we really examine what are you doing on your land are you really managing deer in order to answer yes you've got to have clear goals and a plan so yeah, that's something that leaves me out. I thought it was just taking care of something. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, basically, yes, in layman's terms, take care of it. Uh, but that's a, I think that's a good question he poses there is, are you actually managing your deer, or are you just going out there and, and shooting a couple every year, kind of throwing a dart at the wall and saying, okay, this year, we'll, if it lands on three does, we'll shoot three does this year. Um, no. If it lands on, I'm just going to kill the biggest buck I see, I'm going to kill the biggest buck I see, not necessarily the most mature one, but I think that's a a good intro into what he's getting ready to talk about. The meat of this is, are you really managing your deer? Or are you just kind of hunting them? And if you don't want to, then you don't want to. Right. Nothing says you have to manage your deer. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. I mean, I just... Uh, yeah, I mean, as long as you're not one of those guys that's complaining about not seeing big deer or not having the numbers around or anything like that... Correct. ...on your property. Correct. If you want to just go out there and shoot whatever, fine, do that. But I think if you're... If you want to have, like what we talked about in the beginning of this, that healthy population of deer herd overall and success year in and year out, and actually give back, then this is stuff that I think you should be doing, uh, like at least striving to do, unless you just don't care, and then hopefully your neighbors are doing it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, Wherever I go there around the house, I'm just looking for whether it's a mature doe or a mature buck. You know, and so <clears throat> I guess in that way you are possibly managing your herd. I think that's the best way to manage your deer. I mean, I'm not going out there expecting to shoot a 200-inch buck because mm-hmm. that's not very probable where right. I live at. Right. You know, but if I see a five-and-a-half, six-and-a-half-year-old buck, well, then, you know, that's going to be my mm-hmm. target buck. Yep. Despite how big his antlers are or anything like that. 
Yeah, well, that's kind of like what you're saying there, too, is even though you're not necessarily wanting to go out there and kill the biggest, some record buck deer, record book buck, you're still... Careful there. <laughs> you're still trying to manage your your ground and the habitat to make it better for the deer. So I think even if you don't care about managing your deer or killing the biggest deer, if you have the 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 land and, you know, you're trying to be a steward of it, because I think we should be stewards of it, because mm-hmm. if we're not, then... Nothing else is. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the deer aren't going to take care of their their stuff. We've talked about it before. Like, if there's too many of them, they'll literally eat themselves to death. Well, um, Mother Nature will take care of them. Exactly. But, so I think we we do have some obligation or responsibility towards it, taking care of it. Uh, but we'll go back to the article here. Um, like he left off there, he said you have to have clear goals and plans. Often when asked, a landowner will say the goal is to grow bigger deer, or to have more trophy deer. However, that is not a goal. It's an expectation. A properly stated goal would be something like, we want to harvest X number of mature bucks from this property each year, or we want to have a deer herd in balance with the productive capacity of our land, which is kind of what I just talked about, which how much, how many deer can you actually hold for how many resources you got. Uh, but these are quantifiable goals that can be tested with time-proven metrics. You got to have a plan for what you're trying to do. I mean, otherwise you're going to, run yourself in circles and I think that's why we talk about taking notes a lot of times uh, what you're seeing during the season and then literally write it down that's why if we do a consultation or something like that we'll give them the map and the document saying this is your where we're trying to get to and this is you know the steps you need to take to get there write it down and have a goal that way you can and you can realize it when you achieve it right I've seen one of the first steps to achieving a goal or success is to write your vision down mm-hmm. and that way and put it someplace where you see it all the time. Yeah. I think you that's know. why it's cool when guys, like if we give them those maps or something and they blow them up and laminate them and put them on a wall in their hunting mm-hmm. cabin or whatever, or in the garage. And then you've always got that. Like it's always in the front of your mind when you see it, mm-hmm. you know, it may be one of those things that just becomes, you see it every day. So you're, you don't really realize it, but it's still there. Right. It's that reminder that this is, this is my goal. This is what I want to end up getting to. What do I need to do today to get to towards that goal? And obviously, it's not an everyday thing with your private land management, but what do I need to do this month? Mm-hmm. You know, there's always something you can do every month that's going to help you achieve your land management goals and overall your deer management goals, at least in my opinion. You could do that in your restroom, and it wouldn't be the only thing you ever blew up when you were in there. <laughs> How'd I know by the look on his face he was about to say something like that? You ain't known him as long as I have. I already knew what was happening. Uh-huh. It's just where my mind, feeble mind goes sometimes. When you talk about blowing up, I thought, well, Fry's blowed up plenty of stuff. That'd be the place to put it. Well, you'd see it every day. Yeah. See, there were, that's where I went. I'm telling you. Okay, well, hunting cabin, garage, bathroom, wherever you want to put it, at least you'll know it's there. Back to the article here. He says, uh, he, he liked, let me just read it. I have likened <laughs> Good luck. deer management to a three-legged stool. I choose a three. <laughs> Are you all right? <laughs> no, he's not. He says, I have likened deer management to a three-legged stool. I chose. <laughs> I'm going to have to pause this and come back. He says, I chose a three-legged stool because if you take one leg away, you're going to have a nasty fall. <laughs> Why? Well, he's not wrong. I hunt on three-legged stools. I mean, yeah. I... <laughs> That's a darn good one, too, but I couldn't find one this year at the show. I know. We looked. Yep. Let me just back up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about that either. <laughs> Oh, good Lord, this is why we try not to... This is why I do the serious stuff on Fridays. <laughs> oh, so he says, I have likened deer management to a three-legged stool. I chose a three-legged stool because if you take one leg away, you're going to have a nasty fall. One leg of this stool, deer... One leg of this stool is deer population management, another habitat management, and the last, people management. Finally got through that little paragraph. But what, I like what he says there because it's... It's kind of simplified, but it's three parts that I tend to agree with. There's just population management, which I think overall is like your herd management, you could call it as well, because it's not just 
I think if you say population management, a lot of people are thinking, okay, I got to keep my numbers down. Whereas maybe you're just trying to keep uh, harvesting the mature deer, which would also fall into herd management. But there's that aspect of it. Uh, the habitat management, which we're going to get into, which we kind of talk about a little bit too. Uh, and that's one, again, where if you have one without the other, if you're just managing your habitat, but you're not managing your deer herd, then you're not really helping your deer out any. Uh, you might be helping all that other wildlife, but you're not going to really help your deer herd because if you're just growing bigger and bigger numbers of deer, in that number's case, maybe you have to take some out. Uh, if you're not advancing those deer to the next age class, you're not going to help them get any bigger, stronger, have a healthier herd. So, And then the last one uh, is people management, which is another big one. Obviously, you can't manage your neighbors, but maybe it's a deal where you try to go to your neighbors and talk to them and get everybody on the same plan. Or if it's everybody hunting the same property, Everybody has, everybody knows what your expectations are. I know you've had that, Jeff, and I kind of stole your idea for when I started hunting, like up there on the North Farm. We kind of followed the same rules, uh, which was just an easy one. If you shoot it, you mount it kind of thing. Because uh, at that time, even when we started hunting up there, uh, I wasn't to the point where I was going to pass like a nice three-and-a-half-year-old buck yet. But he, even as we've gone we with that rule... We have seen the, the age class of the bucks go up, and that's a big one is the, the people management because if you got one guy that's shooting two, two-and-a-half-year-old deer a year on your 160 acres or whatever it is, that's going to affect your your deer herd over the years and mm-hmm. the number of mature bucks you have. Yep. I think that's the biggest non-controllable factor out of the three is you can't manage people on somebody else's property. So if you've yeah. only got, let's say, 10 acres mm-hmm. – you can't manage that 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 leg of the stool, for instance. Uh, you can manage yourself. You can manage your ten acres, but that's certainly not no ways near going to manage as you know the herd or mm-hmm. anything like that. So uh, that's a tough one in this area. Now, if you've got a ranch and you're you're guiding and you've got two thousand acres, yeah, that's possible. But yeah, but you still have to do it. Yeah, you have to absolutely. You still have to manage. Yeah, you still have to manage the people you hunting your property. And the people that are hunting your property, because like we always say, if if you're the guy that says, well, if I hadn't shot him, my neighbor would have, then you're that neighbor. You also need to manage the amount of people hunting your property, too, I believe. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, like I'm, I got 20 acres. Well, that's only going to hold about two of us at the most. Yeah. You know, we can't have. On a good day where the wind's bright. Yeah, we can't have six people hunting 20. Exactly. A 20-acre parcel. Yeah. You'd be hard yeah. having. I think it's something. I'd like be hard that. having six trees they could put a stand in. <laughs> yeah, I know where he's going with it. <laughs> yeah. Depending, depending <laughs> on the wind, and if you're after a particular deer, two is plenty. Yes, two may yeah. be one too many. Yeah, at, most of the time, actually. Yeah. Actually, it is. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I think somewhere between 20, ten and twenty acres per hunter. But even then, if you start talking about six guys on sixty acres, especially depending on how that sixty acres is laid out, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of one of those things, like what you're talking about know your property and how it lays out and how many guys you can have hunting on at the same time. Know your wind because you don't want to be a, a Bravo Foxtrot to your guy that's downwind of you right. when the deer are trying to come to him. But that's something you're right. You have to manage the, the number of people. And that may not even just be at the same time. That could be like if you have eight guys in your hunt camp and you're hunting 100 acres, okay, you might only be hunting in there three days, but there's seven other guys that are hunting in there Mm-hmm. And either at the same time or not, that's a lot of intrusion. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to know how many people you can have hunting in there and, and what to expect based on that, even if it's not all hunting at the same time. Which kind of may it kind of full circles back to that other leg when you talk about managing the, the the property, right? So if you've got seven or eight guys and six or seven guys in there, there may be some some of that sixty acres, the forty of that sixty acres you can't go there. Mm-hmm. We right. don't put stands on there. This is the area that we don't bother them. This is why we have those kind of deer. So you're managing the people along with. Mm-hmm. That's actually yeah. something that we'll do a lot, or I've done a lot in the past on if we go do consultations and stuff, is just 10, 20 acres, whatever bigger the property is, however much room we can manage, to just is just sanctuary. Let them go, stay in there, bed in there, give them a little bit of browse so they feel comfortable. That way they're staying on your property more often. Try and not you're not to walk through there to check your cameras. Right, right. And you're not <laughs> bothering them. Maybe that's a place where you go set a camera up and it's a, trail, it's a cell cam and you just leave it all year. Or it's even if it's not, yeah. you set one there just to see what's there. But you just leave it alone from like September through 
middle of January, February. Yeah, when we go check my stand down south, that I'm planning on having a cell camera and setting it up then. Mm-hmm. That way I don't have to go down there every other week or whatever to pull the card and all right. that stuff. You know, right. I'm just staying out of it till I'm ready to hunt. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, yep. We're getting also too, like at my place, that's kind of what we do is that none of us hunt the center of the woods. Right. You know, we stay on the outer edges because we know that the center of the woods is where the deer's bedded and everything. Mm-hmm. And which is an ideal setup. You can't afford to blow no. them deer out of there because nope. they won't be back for a month. Yeah, if know. that. We'll get into more of this stuff too as he goes on because he kind of breaks them down a little bit uh, in the article. Uh, continuing there, he says, let's begin with the population management leg of the stool. First, what is population? What is a population? It generally is defined as all the inhabitants of a particular area of a specific species. In other words, how many deer do you have? Well, that's a tough one. Since deer move around the landscape and do not remain on your land, at least for the average size property, the deer density question has plagued biologists since the beginning of wildlife management, and the truth is you never really know. You need to know something about the percentages of your herd that are does, bucks, and fawns, and you'll also have to have some measurements of the age structure of your herd. So that's kind of what we were talking about. When it comes to population management, that's why I think maybe herd management would be a better uh, phrase for it, is it's not just about how many deer you have, because that's going to be really tough to tell anyway, because especially when you're talking about does, you can tell the bucks that are in your area because they're all, unless they're just like a really similar eight point or something like that, they generally have characteristics that, you know, are identifiable and individual buck will have one thing that another won't. But when it comes to does, you have no idea if you're looking at the same doe in a picture or not. So to me, if you see 30 deer out in a field of an evening, okay, you have a lot of deer in your area, right? If you're only seeing 10 on the regular, then maybe you have slightly less, you know what I mean? But when it comes to the other things he's talking about, I think it's really important. You can buy your trail cameras and buy your observation sits and even sitting and hunting kind of figure out your buck to doe ratio you can figure out your age structure within your your herd even on does you can generally tell okay what's a yearling doe versus a two to four year old doe versus a six to eight year old doe you know it's going to be hard somewhere in the middle there but you know a mature doe when you see one they got the great big long snout on them most of them when they're that old have have characteristics like bucks do as far Mm -hmm. as individual characters. i mean mean, we've watched them on your property and uh, the old hunchback, mm-hmm. or I want to add the spot, the spot. Yeah. I mean, so, earmarks, yeah. But but you're right. Until you get some age on them, it's tough. Mm-hmm. But that's the stuff I think you need to know, especially like he says there, when it comes to your population management or herd management. Well, there's a road that actually it's on the way to your cabin, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I take back from work every once in a while, and I went by there there night, and it's maybe a twenty acre field of beans, and I count thirty five deer out there in that field. Yeah. And I thought, holy smokes. You know why? Because there's not any food around there. Yeah. I mean, that's... Well, it wasn't on that road. It was on the highway. Oh, yeah. I know where you're talking about, I think. Yeah, it's on the north side. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I counted 35 deer out there when I went by. I thought, Mm -hmm. man, they need to start shooting some does. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Bad. Or that farmer's going to start shooting. (laughs) He's going to start doing something. (laughs) Somebody's going to shoot does. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, and then you go around my place and... You might see five, mm-hmm. you know, and that's about right for that area around in there. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a big one, I think. Um, he says population measurements also involve identifying causative mortality in your herd and identif- identifying which are the greatest having the greatest impacts. This could be predation. In other areas, there may be significant mortality caused by diseases. One area we manage, and I thought this was just kind of interesting. One area we manage in Texas regularly loses 90% or more of the herd to anthrax. So you're probably not having that problem everywhere, but it is important to know what's killing your deer. Well, that's what they get for living close to the border. <laughs> they should have taken oh, the no, vaccine. No, that, yeah. <laughs> that's, I'm not. No. <laughs> he didn't say what area of Texas. He just said one area. But to his point... <laughs> If you're going to manage your population, it is important to know what's killing your deer, whether that be EHD on a really dry year. Illegals coming across the border that are hungry. Could be. Could be. Well, that's one. Uh, 
and or it could be <laughs> however many coyotes you have killing all your fawns. Because if you have a lot of natural predation, then you don't need to kill as many as many deer probably. If you don't have a bunch of natural predation, if there's not a lot of thing other things killing your deer, then you probably have a little more of that load to bear and kill more deer. Yeah, Marley brought up a fawn that he'd found out mm-hmm. in the woods, and I know he didn't kill it because it. But it'd been dead a while. Been dead a while. Yeah. But that's a that's one I think gets overlooked. And really, just reading this article, I kind of thought about it. Like, you kind of think about it, but you don't realize you're thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So I, a lot of people probably are missing that. Uh, but knowing what, you know, what else is out there being taking your deer. so the, And then kind of factoring that into your plan for your harvesting. Harvesting for that upcoming year. I got a pretty good idea of what's getting my fawns because neighbors showed me a video of a bobcat kitten just they? not too far from the house. So. We've had some back there on camera. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I seen two while I was hunting last year back there. Yeah. Yeah, they're getting. I think you got one of them on camera, didn't you? Yeah, didn't one you of take them on a my phone. Video. That's what I meant. You yeah. got a video. Yeah. I said camera. But. Yeah, I seen five does, and then a coyote come out behind them, and then right at dusk, a bobcat come out behind him, mm-hmm. walked right under my tree. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't shoot it, Tim. I do not have a permit. <laughs> so that's one of the that's one of those things, though. That we, if you know we have bobcats, which we have a growing number in areas pockets, especially in Illinois, that's something you got to take into consideration. Yeah. But he goes on to leg two, which is habitat management. He says, "Now let's talk about habitat. Deer must have the following habitat elements: summer thermal cover, winter thermal cover, escape cover, natural foods, and water. All of those things." I don't think you necessarily need to have on your property, which he'll go on to. Uh, I'll just read this part before I get into that. He says, We learned long ago that the home range of most deer is elliptical in shape due to the fact that one or more critical habitat elements either are not on the property or are too far apart. Everything a deer needs 365 days a year should be in a reasonable travel distance to your deer. So that's a thing where, especially we talk about a lot, if you have 20 acres, if you have 10 acres, finding out what in that uh, list of things he said there the deer don't have and to me summer thermal cover is one that I would not necessarily focus on if, if for hunting purposes because it's not going to do you a lot of good in October if you have summer thermal cover but if you don't if there's not one of those other things that they need readily available in your block or in your neighborhood then that's something you can capitalize on like you were just talking about with the cabin uh, the road to there and I said, there's not a lot of food there. I think that's something I can capitalize on. There's decent cover. There's water on the property. There's water uh, all around there. But there's not a ton of food, so that's one I can key in on. Uh, maybe it's cover. Maybe the deer don't have a lot of cover in whatever area you're in. Winter thermal cover. Mm-hmm. So maybe you go in and plant a cedar thicket. Maybe you do some swish grass and some cedars mixed in, uh, throw in some red maples for browse or something. But I think that's a big one when it comes to habitat management is not just okay, I saw some guy on the internet burning or I saw some guy on the internet hinge cutting. I saw some guy on the internet planting giant miscanthus or switchgrass or whatever. It's what can I do to the habitat that's going to benefit my deer herd, not just what can I do to the habitat. Elliptical. Yeah, I don't know what that <laughs> Isn't is. that where the moon comes in front of the sun? No, that's ecliptical. <laughs> oh, okay. You sound like George Bush. Let me, me eclipsical fire. Let <laughs> <laughs> me confused. Let <laughs> me confused. God for first to have Bush back, right? Let <laughs> me confused her for a minute. Hey, Joe. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, and then the third leg is the people management, which we kind of covered a lot there. But I'll read what he says here. He says people would be managing your deer. Whether it be just you, your family, friends, employees, or contractors, to be successful, everyone will have to be committed to the management program and in solid agreement as to what the goal is and the steps needed to get there. So everybody's got to be on the same page, not only on what you're trying to get to, but how to get there. Because if you're all saying, everybody, it's easy to get everybody to agree, hey, we want bigger deer. How do we do that? We get more mature deer on the property. Okay, yeah, that's great. Everybody agrees. What you're going to have trouble with, I think, is getting everybody to agree on how to get to that point. So you got to, and it's like a lot of things, like we talked about somewhat on the last podcast, the nuance thing. There are a lot of different ways to skin a cat or to manage deer in this situation. As long as everybody's on the same page and practicing the same things, it may take longer than if you did it a different way, but if you're doing something that's working and everybody's doing it the same way, 
you don't have that one squeaky wheel or whatever, you're going to see success over a period of time. But it's getting everybody on the same page of how to get there. It took us about three years or three hunting seasons to notice the difference. About four hunting seasons, four to five hunting seasons to actually see the results mm-hmm. of what we was doing down there on the program that you know we got started. Right. And some of that's going to have to do with your deer herd too, because if you already have, oh a, yeah, we got we had good genetics and we had right. a good deer herd down there. Yeah. It's just they what they didn't have the opportunity to reach mm-hmm. their potential. And if you have a herd that has, let's say, the bucks are average age of three and a half, now maybe it takes you two years to start seeing really the fruits of your labor versus if you have your average age is one and a half or two and a half, mm-hmm. then it's going to take more time and how many you have and all that. But yeah, I mean that's it's got it's going to take time. I mean yeah. nothing happens instantly. On your small properties, which most of us have around here, I think that's a great opportunity to get together with your neighbors. You know, have a cookout, have a barbecue. You know, if you don't have a deer camp with them, which a lot of people don't, but but we're all hunting. We're all like-minded people for the most part. You know, maybe you throw that neighborhood party and cookout and, you know, whatever it is and sit down around a campfire and, and throw out that conversation starter and see where it goes, and that helps you lead into what you're talking about there. It's it it can't hurt anything, even mm-hmm. if you go away disagreeing. At least you know where everybody's at, and you think, okay, you know, and and you never know. You plant the seed and it grows, unless you're Jeff, and you never know. We'll get into that later. I mean, <laughs> it, you, if you don't if you don't try, it's never going to happen. Yep. Yeah, and you can't be. I mean, you can be. It's probably not going to work. Real pushy about it, I don't think. You can't go to your neighbors and be like, hey, by God, this is what we're doing, and this is why we're doing it, and you're going to do it. Yeah, exactly you know? why you have the cookout. And the That's cold what it needs to be a suggestion. Yeah. Let it, yeah, I mean, let the conversation happen kind of naturally and be. Let them too on it. You might while. find yeah. out you're all in agreement about the big bucks, and mm-hmm. then you have that conversation of how do we get there. Mm-hmm. Whether you agree or not, you might find some common ground that, that maybe does help everybody. Yep. And like you said, just plant the seed to get it, get the wheels turning on it, and maybe. Even if it's two years down the road, they finally decide, hey, I've been trying this for the last two years, and he's over there doing this, and he's killing a, a decent buck, you know, every year. Or at least a couple years ago, or this year he killed one, and I haven't even seen him. What's different? Maybe maybe I should try that. And then at least that's two years, you know, versus maybe it's 10 years down the road. If you plant that seed early, maybe maybe in a couple years versus 10 that, yeah, and you have four neighbors, mm-hmm. one on one on all sides, uh, theoretically, right? So if you all get together and have a cookout or whatever, and two of you agree and two mm-hmm. of you don't, you're still twice as better off as you was when you started. Yep. And those two that aren't in agreement with you might see you and whoever you are in agreement with killing those bigger deer and thinking, you know what, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe we can. And even if you don't agree, hell, next year come around, have another deer camp, have another mm-hmm. cookout, have another fish fry, whatever it is, get together and – and as sportsmen, you'll find something in common, even if, you know, I want to mm-hmm. kill a spike buck and Jeff doesn't want to kill anything till it's six. That doesn't mean we don't enjoy hunting. Yep. We and can still have a joyful conversation about hunting and mm-hmm. nature and whatever else. And even if he is that <laughs> God knows whatever. Else. Even if he is that guy killing the spike buck and saying, man, I wish we had more mature deer. Just don't be a jackass to him and say, well, if you weren't killing those spike bucks, you know, we'd have more big mature ones. Again, just... Put it in their mind that, hey, you know, this is what we've been doing. He said, I've, I saw, you know, a few spikes or two-year-olds this year, and I just decided I didn't want to shoot them, uh, and it's oh, kind of yeah. worked for us. You know, you yeah. just got to – there's a way to go about it, and there's a wrong way, and I think maybe sometimes we get a little too hard-headed, and we're all guilty of it from time to time, but just don't don't be a jerk to them if they aren't following what you're wanting to do, like you My said. My famous saying is baby steps. Yeah. Go, and take baby steps and get to the where you want to be. Go back the next year and – and try it again, like you're saying. That's a big one, I think, people management. Because if you can get, maybe you only have 10 acres, or maybe you have 100 and your neighbors have 40 on each side of you, now you've got 260 that are being managed instead of just 100. Maybe if you have the 10 and your neighbors has 150 or 160, now you've got 170 that are being managed. And that's that's a, a huge part of that. I think if, the, if one leg of that stool is maybe a little sturdier than another, that's probably a big one. Because if, if you do the other things, you can you can manage your deer and not manage your habitat and still kill some decent deer every now and then. You can manage your habitat and not necessarily manage your deer 
and still kill some decent deer every now and then. If you do both of those things, but everybody around you is killing two-and-a-half-year-old deer every year, you're, I mean, it's going to be tough to kill nice deer, even on a non-consistent basis. You're just going to have to get really lucky. But someone has to do it. Someone yeah. has to start. Yep. you got to be the guy that starts, but I think that's a big one if you can get try to get people on board, and you got to be on board with it first. Even if it's just something where maybe your neighbor doesn't even want to talk to you or have that cookout, at least you're the one... You do it and stick to what you're saying you're going to do, and then, okay, now you're posting on Facebook or whatever, and they see you doing that, or they see you leaving the property with that big mature buck hanging out of the tailgate because you know it's illegal to haul one with the tailgate closed if he's over 120 inches. No question about that. So maybe they just see that, and that's what gets the wheels turning in their head. I can't believe our our neighbor up there wouldn't talk to us. I mean, he waves us with the one finger all the time. I know. I I think he's gone. I haven't seen him in a long time. He doesn't hunt anyway, so and maybe that's another thing. Legally, well, yeah, maybe that's it. Well, that wouldn't. I don't know if you call that hunting or not, but maybe that's another thing. Even if your neighbors don't hunt, these are conversations you could have with them. Uh, maybe you go get permission to hunt their property and either hunt it or don't, and then you don't get somebody like that that's coming in there and doing it. Or say, hey, if you have somebody that wants to come hunt this, would you mind me talking to them? And you know, this is what I'm doing. I think it's good for the the environment and the 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 habitat, the deer, the wildlife. Environment's not really the word I was looking for, no. but wildlife. So it might get them on Global board with warming. it. Yeah, we're yeah. We can save that for another time. But he goes on, I'll finish this one here. Uh this will be the last part of this article we'll get into. And this is a one that I think we try to be cognizant cognizant I can't even say aware. I ain't got no change. Aware. <laughs> yeah. Aware of Jeff when ain't we, got no change. Yeah, yeah I ain't got when no change. Careful. When we do uh, consultations or talk to people, and I think it's, I will still, we'll still go to a property and say, hey, look, this is how you can make it better. But we'll also take this into consideration as where you might want to start and build towards. It says one category of information you need to for a sound management plan revolves around the potential physical and economic limitations to the program. For instance, I learned the hard way. That's one thing to recommend prescribed burning, yet quite another to see the landowner actually pull off a burn. Further, what are the equipment limitations on your management program? Do you even own a tractor? How much will you manage how much will management practices cost and do you have the funds to support them? Does it have all four wheels? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes, it may be best to use a no-till Georgia trailer. <laughs> it may be best to use a no-till drill to plant food plots, but do you have the upwards of $20,000 to obtain one and a tractor to pull it? So that's something you got to keep in mind, too, is what are your resources, both, uh, I mean, at like economically especially, and then time resources as well. What can you do? And that's not to say, like I said, even when we do consultations, I'll say here's, you know, what I see and what I think you could do to improve your deer management, your wildlife, and habitat. It's not to say you don't want to do these things because you it's cost prohibitive right now, but maybe you start with these things and then you get the ball rolling and then maybe down the road you can't afford to do those or you've got a buddy that has a tractor and he can come help you out with it or you can rent something down the road, something like that. But pick the ones that you can get done and just start there. I think that's one of the biggest disservices that TV programs today do is they show all these food plots and they show all this thing and they have and and they don't explain this cost me thirty thousand dollars a year to maintain mm-hmm. you got you have had clients that they have a budget which we all do and and they don't understand you can't get a thirty thousand dollar food plot on a three thousand dollar budget right but nobody on TV says that says hey hey this is what we're doing this is, but it cost X amount of dollars. And the expectations, I think that's a huge disservice that the industry does to Joe Hunter out here that, oh, yeah, you can have a food plot. Yeah, it looks great, blah, blah, blah. And, and it's and – That's one thing I do – I can't appreciate about, like, the juries, like Forrest and them, is they will show – they're not going to come out and say, hey, we spent this dollar amount. But they do in a lot of their episodes or even on their YouTube channel provide content that shows, and the Midwest Whitetail guys do kind of the same thing, especially on their YouTube. Well, I guess they're, I think, 
on their YouTube channel anyway. They might they're probably on the outdoor channel too. Anyhow, they at least show the work that goes into it. And they show the equipment they're using and the seed that they're putting down and the old fire truck that Terry's got that they try to water their food plots with. So at least that pulls the curtain back and okay, this is all the time and then money, you know, in relation to that, that it does take. But you're right, there's so many of them that don't show anything like that. And it's just, here comes the fall, we're up in a tree over this $30,000 food plot, and you can do this too on a $1,500 budget, as long as you buy our seed. <laughs> Let me know how it works out. <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. just, I just think it's a, I think it's a, a huge disservice the industry does. Mm-hmm. And I understand it. I mean, if you're going to be on TV and you want that $30,000 food plot, I get all that. But go on, go that extra step and say, yes, we have this, mm-hmm. but this is what it takes to get. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't have to do this. You don't have to spend this kind of money, but this is what you're going to get. You, you can't buy an Escalade for uh, $5,000 right? unless it's getting ready to go to the junk pile, yeah. right? Yep. Can you own an Escalade? Sure you can. You can't own a new one for $5,000. That's all I had out of the article from James Kroll, Dr. James Kroll from North American Whitetail. This one being the June edition. Uh, Like I said, I skipped around a bunch and skipped over a bunch of stuff in there. So go get it and read the article if you haven't. I always encourage everybody to do that because there's stuff in there that maybe you'll pick up on too and other good information in it that we just, I don't want to read the whole article word for word. So I like to add our own stuff in. But speaking of budget food plots, (laughs) We've hit a bit of a snafu on yours, and I wouldn't say it's a, so much a snafu because everybody's kind of dealing with it right now. Yeah, but this drought's just killed killed the corn at your place. Yeah, and the beans. I mean, yeah, they're hurting too. The beans come up, and then they stop growing, and then the rabbits and the deer found them, and they just went down each row and nubbed them down to dirt, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Uh, the my, the sorghum's doing a lot better than I expected, but it's a drought tolerant mm-hmm. uh, plant, anyways. But the corn, uh, no, yeah. it's it's just it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And this next video that goes up will be uh, some mowing of the clover one time ago, and then the planting of it. So you guys will get to see how we did everything, and I mean we did it. As good as we knew how to. Mm-hmm. And then the next one we'll do will be a little more about where we're at now and what it kind of looks like and what we're talking about with the, the drought and all that. But Yeah, I mean, it's you can do everything right, but some things are out of your control, you know. And so mm-hmm. you need to get a couple feathers and uh, your moccasins out and do a little rain dance. Yeah, well. You need to tell your neighbor to do that. My neighbor? Yeah. Well, Jeff's not a real Indian. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, I never thought of that. Yeah. yeah. You should try. That go, that's uh, also to the expectation thing, though, is even Not if sure you, how much Indian she's had in her either. Well, even if you or do. God, her on side. Even if you do put the money into it and the time and do everything by the book, you still cannot control Mother Nature. Right. I mean, and even if you have a fire truck like, uh, like the Drury's had, Last year, if you, you know look how at, much water, how many gallons of water it takes to make oh, an inch of rain on yeah. an acre. I mean, you have to do I it mean, daily and put a bunch of water on it. And they did that last year, and they, it's like twenty seven thousand gallons or something, something right? like that. on an acre. Yeah. But anyway, uh, they did that last year and put all that time and effort into it. And if you go back and watch their hunts from last year, their food plot still didn't look that great mm-hmm. because they just didn't get rain. And like you said, you can't make up for it. So even if you do put everything into it that you're supposed to. Sometimes if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And last fall was that way, and this spring's looking that way. So hopefully at least this fall we'll get more rain than we did last year. If yeah. not, the other problem is we might have a, some EHD and a pretty big kill this year. You are correct, sir. 27,000 gallons of water will give you an inch over an acre. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you're, I mean, I don't know what they're watering, but I mean, you got to be out there putting thousands of gallons on it every day to make an inch of rain over a week, right? which is not going to make that much difference. It might make a difference in it being dead and not mm-hmm. like theirs, for instance, but it's still not going to be anything spectacular. So you can't haul 27,000 gallons no. of water on a four wheeler and a, uh, 
spray uh, back tap backpack sprayer. Right. Right. Yeah. For yeah. enough to for it to matter. No, you're just not going to make that difference. So that's I, that's what I was going back to your expectations is you can't control Mother Nature and the rain and all that. But no, because just like the other night, you know, <clears throat> we went in there and had your Harold behind the four wheeler and was tearing up what dirt we could and mm-hmm. throwing some. Um, we gave up on the corn, so we was throwing some conceal down. Mm-hmm. It was giving seventy five percent chance of rain that night. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I didn't get a drop. We didn't get a drop. Not one. Nope. Not one stink. I didn't even get a good dew. Right. You know, it's just so. Mm-hmm. And so now all that stuff's just laying there in dry dirt waiting for something to happen. And yep. That's what I did at the cabin, too, when I went and I put the nitrogen on the milo there. And I put buckwheat down on both those plots. Did you do it at the five-leaf stage? Some of it. <laughs> Some of it's bigger than that. Some of it's not quite there yet. So, anyway. average. Average. Yeah. Anyway, the I put all that down in the buckwheat, expecting that seventy percent chance of rain to come through, and nothing. Yeah. It's just the way the the way it goes. Yeah. But but then if we hadn't have done anything, we've got two inches of rain. That's how it went last fall. It seemed like yeah. when they weren't calling for when we got rain, they weren't calling for it. When they were calling for it, we didn't get it. So yeah. it seems to be similar this spring. But anyway, that's kind of where we are on the food plots. Yeah, it's just that, like that uh, parcel of ground down there. Mm-hmm south that i hunt i haven't done nothing to it except just spray it right and actually i need to go spray it again because you know it's just what's mm-hmm. the point you right. ain't going you may at this point you might as well wait till the fall <clears throat> right you're just throwing seed and money out there for the birds to pick up yep. you know i mean yep i think the maybe the thing to do there this fall would be to plant some of that inner sanctum like what nate had in his sprout patch last year that way that kale will at least come up and be pretty tall this fall and then you'll have a good start for your clover for next year because that's the ultimate goal there anyway right right so because it's i think it's it's mostly kale and clover it's got a little bit of that triticle in it but i think that may be your best bet at this point yeah i was uh, speaking of nate i was hoping he'd be here tonight because i want to talk to him about if he's got started on anything and i don't think he has because we're supposed to do some videos but on his plot and all that but maybe we'll get to talk to him next week about it uh and this is coming out a day late as well. We're actually recording this on Monday when it's supposed to come out. So apologies for that. Just wait. Schedule went this weekend. Some things got moved around. So anyway, anybody else got anything they want to add before we get out of here? Well, speaking of Inner Sanctum, you've heard us talk about it. And like I said, Nate's sprout patch turned out great last year. We all saw the pictures of it. And I used it on some client properties as well, and it went red. I mean, it grew really well, and it actually used that on uh, Chris's property up there, the inner sanctum, because he eventually wanted clover, but we did some fall stuff with some clover in it. That way he had something for the first year. Clover's established for this spring going on into this year, and it it's looking really good. So, But that inner sanctum comes from Grandpa Ray Outdoors. If you guys don't know about them, they specialize in providing the best nutrition for white-tailed deer on your property, starting with the soil. They've got a full line of high-quality food plot seed and plant foods, they were started in 2015, but John's been in the business since 1991. We've talked to him a couple times. Super knowledgeable guy. Uh, really knows his stuff when it comes to food plots uh, and whitetail nutrition overall. They've got over 14 different food plot blends to choose from, so you're not going to have any trouble finding what you're looking for. They have fall and spring blends, corn and beans, switchgrass, liquid fertilizer, soil test kits. You name it, they've got it. They're not just about selling their products, though. They're going to answer any questions you have about what blends would be best for your specific property. That way you can achieve the best results possible. Like us, John and his team don't believe in a cookie-cutter approach to wildlife nutrition. They're going to treat you and your situation individually. They aren't about a fancy label or package either. They're just about good quality seed and taking care of their clients. Like I said, we use their blends on our own properties, on clients' properties, client properties all over the Midwest. Uh, That's why... And the results have always been as good as advertised, and that's why we're going to continue to use their seed, and that's why we actually partnered with them on the podcast in the first place. So if you guys want to support us and your deer herd and get some of the best seed on the market, you can go to GrandpaRayOutdoors.com and use the discount code RHOPODCAST. It's all lowercase, no space, and you get 5% off your order there. Our other sponsor for the podcast, if you guys haven't been listening, is Rodney Hawkins. So if you're looking for your own ground that you want to make your private land that you can manage and hunt and you're getting to that point where you want to leave behind something for family members or whatever it is uh just better than you found it hawkins is that an indian name no no hawk's probably somewhere in there but i was thinking maybe he might know a rain dance or something 
Uh, probably not. At this point, I don't care who knows the right <laughs> day. Yeah, somebody needs to do His it. younger brother might. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you're looking for your ground that you want to manage or hunt, Rodney's the guy to talk to. He grew up hunting and fishing in Southern Illinois, and he's now putting that love for the outdoors and selling recreational properties as a land specialist with Midwest Farm and Land. The Midwest Farm and Land isn't your average real estate company. They sold over $85 million worth of ground in 2022 alone. They've got agents like Rodney all over Illinois. They're really a local company with a national reach. For more info on them, just call Rodney directly at 618-925-3153, and he'll get you taken care of. Rodney's also got his own business called RG Outdoors. They're currently carrying blinds and blind chairs, all from Radix Blinds, in addition to Camo Dust, which is an all-natural scent elimination product. They've also got burner self-defense weapons now and Tacticam trail cameras. If you're interested in anything they have to offer or anything new they might be getting because he's all the time working on new stuff, getting new stuff in the store, you can message them through their Facebook page, RG Outdoors. Email them at rgoutdoors at yahoo.com. Or again, you can call Rodney directly at 618-925-3153. Don't forget about our social media. You guys can follow us at Ridge Hunter Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram. Our Facebook group now for the listeners is RHO Podcast Patrons, so you'll see some some uh, exclusive content on there. And also, like today, since this is coming out late, I kind of put up there that just letting everybody know the podcast will be out tomorrow, which will be Tuesday, which is today when you're listening to this. Anyway, that's where you can find all of that stuff. We'll also ask... Sir, what was that? I <laughs> say so you're starting to sound like Kamala Harris. No, sir. I'm not talking in circles yet. Yesterday was today, but this today, yesterday, and yeah. <laughs> so, if you guys want, check that out. Um, you can ask questions on there. We'll ask questions from you guys sometimes, and then we'll put the guest up when we can, uh, that we're going to have on. So, if you want to ask them any questions, you can do that as well. Also, our website, richhunteroutdoors.com. If you see anything on there you like, use the discount code RHOPOD for 10% off your entire order. Follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us reviews on both of those. That really helps us out. And then our YouTube channel. Subscribe to that. Like and comment on any of the videos. we got some new ones coming out soon. I think I've said that for the last week now. But it's coming out soon. Jeff's Property Vlog will be coming out. And then I think I have one ready for the cabin as well. But that will all be on the YouTube channel. So make sure you stay tuned for that. And hopefully this fall we'll have some some more hunting content for you guys there. If nothing else, it will be like it was last fall, which... Uh, hopefully it was interesting and you guys got to keep up with what we were kind of had going on. So that's all we got for this week. Appreciate you guys tuning in and listening. We'll catch you again on the full draw Friday episode. And then we'll see who we can get in here for next week's episode. But thanks for listening.